This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. This episode. Group D. Czech Republic. On this podcast, we're in Group D. We're focusing on Czech Republic. And for that, I'm speaking to Carol Herring. Carol is the editor of Football Club which is a quarterly magazine, and it takes a highbrow, long-form view of Czech Republic and the wider world, an intelligent look at, at football. He won't mind me saying that. Carol is based in Prague. Now, we spoke during the latest lockdown and before any decision had been taken by UEFA on whether Czech Republic games will be played in Glasgow during the Euros. Carol previously worked for the daily newspaper Sport, where he was a reporter focusing on the Czech national team and following their fortunes for many years. And I think that's really interesting because Czech Republic are not one of those countries that have a terrific team at every tournament. Czechoslovakia, of course, won the European Championship in 1976 with that famous Penenka penalty victory in the final over West Germany. They reached the final of Euro 96, uh, losing to Germany. And in 2004, the team with Pavel Nedved and others played a lot of really exciting, attractive football in, in Portugal. But at other tournaments, you know, they failed to qualify. And, and, the, and the jury's really out on, on whether this current team can emulate their, their predecessors. So it's interesting, I think, to get some perspective from Carol because he's been an, a reporter, he's an editor... He can give us some really interesting perspective about the current Czech national team. So grab a glass of Perovka, the herbal liqueur. Stick in your headphones as we find out all about Czech Republic from Carol Herring. We're talking about the Czech national team and a seventh successive qualification for the Euro Championship. That's, that's a remarkable achievement. Only five other countries, I think, France, Germany, Italy... Portugal, Spain have all qualified for the tournament. So the Czech Republic are in the top six of the national teams at the Euros. How does this team compare with, with previous tournament squads, do you think? As you said, it's quite a remarkable achievement because if you compare it with uh, World Cup qualifi- qualifications, uh, there is only one participation in uh, World Cup 2006. Yeah? So it's very strange why they are so successful in uh, 
qualifying campaign in, for Euros and, and not for World Cups, it's kind of mystery. But in general, this team is um, quite typical for Czech football. If we don't talk about generation around Pavel Nedved and uh, Karol Poborsky, Tomasz Rosicki, in this team were a lot big, big individualities, big stars. But the, in the following years, the biggest strength of the Czech team was always um, unity and, and team performances, a good organization, uh, tactical skills and quality. It's not something which sounds sexy or not about attacking football, but, but it's the main strength of, of, of Czech teams in the recent years. And this, this team, current team, is not, uh, is not different. I was looking at the, the squad in Portugal in 2004 when the Czech Republic reached the semi-finals with that team with, with Patrick Berger and others. That squad only had a, a few players who were in the still playing in, in the Czech League. You know, they were playing around Europe, whereas this squad doesn't have a lot of players at leading European teams. You know, you have Sushek and, and Kufal at, at, at West Ham, Yankto at, at Sampdoria. They're, they're not the, the top, top level this time round. Is that, is that a fair assessment of this team, that they're not the top quality compared to previous squads? It's definitely, it's definitely fair. And I think now the situation is even better than it was in 2018 or 2019. As you mentioned, Tomasz Socek, Vladimir Trofal now playing for, for West Ham. You still can't compare it with the, let's say, golden generation. I would say maybe you can compare it uh, to situation before Euro 1996, because there was also a mix of players playing abroad but not in top clubs, in good clubs in Bundesliga or in Italy, but not top teams. And uh, very good uh, generation or, or players uh, playing for successful Czech league clubs. I mean, at the time it was Sparta Prague and Slavia Prague. And this time it's very uh, definitely Slavia Prague, whose um, achievements in European Cups in the last two seasons helped to check the national team a lot because the coach based the success in the qualifying campaign partly on very good performances and very good form of uh, Slavia Prague players. I mean, Tomáš Soucek, Vladimir Sofal, uh, centre-back uh, Andrzej Kudela and, and uh, right-winger Lukáš Masopust and, and a few other, uh, Alex Kral, who moved to Spartan Moscow so the situation is more close to Euro 1996 than to Euro 2004 because, as you said, at the time there were players in playing for Juventus Turin, for, for Liverpool and for such a big club. So it's, it's now definitely different. And of course, in, in 1996, the Czechs went all the way to the final yeah, yeah. And, and surprised and, and they, people. They, it's quite typical for Czech teams when they travel to a big competition with big expectations usually finish by disappointment. For example, before Euro 2000 in Belgium and Netherlands, the team was already strong and they, they went with really big expectations despite a very tough group with Netherlands, France and Denmark. Yeah, but they were out after two games. And we mentioned the Euro uh, 1996. They went there as an underdogs with a group with Germany, Italy and Russia. I would say also there were expectations before tournament in France 2016. So now I think the situation is better or, or similar to Euro 19 
96 because there is let's say cautious optimism but not big expectations also because the group is not uh, not easy with england croatia and in scotland so i think it's uh, let's say it's first step for eventual success yeah yeah you mentioned the euro tournament in france which was a, a big disappointment and then failure to qualify for the world cup in russia so for the qualifying campaign for the Euros for 2020, there was a new coach came in. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened and how Carol Yarolim left mm-hmm. the post and, and the new coach mm-hmm. came in? The good thing would be if I started uh, the Euro in France in uh, 2016, because after that, Pavel Berba left the national team. It was quite uh, with the bitterness because he decided to move to Russia, to Mahachkala. Uh, but at the time, it wasn't the the team was good, the coach was good, but there was not good chemistry between squad and the coach. So players weren't uh, too sad when he left. But uh, then, when Karel Yarolim was uh, appointed, he was a successful coach. But his strange uh, character, he's not very talkative. There was a lack of communication between him and and players. There hasn't been very good mood in the team before Karel Yarolim's appointment and it got worse even after after because uh, the mood uh, general was quite negative and also uh, his big the biggest mistake probably was that he never found starting 11 or or the core of the team 14 15 players he still invited new players he still tried new players he played players out of their positions right back started uh, on the center back and similar cases. So there was, I would say, it was really also low in terms of people didn't care about results. The performances were so, so boring that people really didn't care about the results of the national team. Then after, I think it was defeated Russia, Karol Yarin was sacked and Jaroslav Shilhavi took over. He is generally taken as a positive coach with positive attitude, popular among players. So the mood was really refreshing quickly. Also, results helped because they won at uh, Slovakia, I think, uh, in Nation League. Nation League. So mm-hmm. it turned quite quickly in positive way. So Shilhavi came in during the Nations League campaign in, in autumn 2018 and was there for the start of the qualifying campaign. Did he change anything specifically? You mentioned that he was popular with the players. Is that because he was he was a successful coach in the Czech League and had respect domestically? Yeah, definitely. It, it helped definitely because he won the league title with uh, Slovan Liberec and uh, later with Slavia Prague. So there was definitely a respect in dressing room. I would say definitely it's his democratic attitude helped because when you have players lack of confidence, when they don't look forward to travel to national team and play for it, sometimes it helps only when you improve the mood, when you bring joy back to the group of uh, players. And I think it was the first starting point. Of course, they they then improved on the pitch uh, and the performances improved, but the, it was the main point uh, at the start. Yeah, and he also brought in some new players. He gave debuts to, I mean, you mentioned Kral, Alex Kral, uh, Mazapus. Was that important that he was bringing in new new blood? Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Also, as I mentioned, Slavia Prague's success in, in the European Cups, it was definitely helpful that uh, 
he didn't have to make so many experiments like Karel Jarolim because he knew that the players were in forms and they quickly adapt in the national team. So it definitely, uh, it definitely helped. And also in past, there was problem with players playing abroad. Many of them, or not many, but, but group of them didn't play for the clubs regularly. So he decided to play mostly with those who had uh, regular match practice in their in their clubs. He didn't rely on, let's say, big names, but preferred those who were, and still prefer those who play regularly in their clubs. Now, I'd like to, to ask a little bit about the tactical options open to Shilhavi. Let's just take a quick mm-hmm. break. Shilhavi is a, a former defender, and he plays, mostly played a 4-2-3-1, 4-5-1 formation. Is that fair? Is it fair to say that he's had a very defensive outlook, that his mindset is defensive? We can say it's a defensive-minded coach. Maybe his strategy is based on defense. If you see, if you see the results, when I prepared for this, I made some statistics and the Czech team scored in eight matches in 2020, only 11 goals. So you can't expect offensive machine, but it's definitely the performances are not boring. It's uh, they play as you say, as you said, four two three one. It's their basic formation, but you can see pressing quite high when losing the ball. They try to win ball back very quickly. So I don't think you can see them to play with in deep block. I don't know how they will play against England against Croatia. When Czech Republic played at Wembley against England and lost 5-0, the team was very, and coach was very uh, criticized for negative, for negative tactical, defensive approach. Yeah? But they evolved, they improved in, in uh, the following months and, and the years. And you can see, yes, very, very organized team, but also trying to play with higher block, high pressing, passing, uh, using wingers. So, so definitely, uh, they don't play boring, uh, boring football. But they play with the single striker. Patrick Schick is the is the main striker. Is he the key to everything that the Czech Republic do? His form is very important, and he's back playing well in the Bundesliga. He had the spell in in Italy. You know, he had a fantastic start in Italy, and then he went to Roma, and and things didn't happen. But now he's in the Bundesliga and playing well. Is that really important for the Czechs that he's? playing well at club level definitely definitely if they want to go through they would have to have uh, Patrick Schick in good form or very good form because he's only one let's say not world class forward but I mean definitely the best striker in Czech Republic by miles because the others there is Michal Krmenčík, uh, but he is uh, he struggled in Belgium he now moved to Park Salonika uh, there is Zdenek Ondrášek who uh, decided the game against England. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he, he is more than 30 and uh, I still think he is not good enough for high level. Yeah? So, yeah, definitely Patrick Schick is a crucial. He was injured during autumn, so he didn't play too many games for national team. And his return can definitely or will definitely increase the quality of attacking power of Czech team. The kid at Sparta Prague, Adam Klosek. Yeah. Is he a big hope as a young striker? The, 
yeah, definitely, definitely, he is one of the brightest talents of Czech team for many, many years. They compared him not by his uh, style of playing, but the amount of talent uh, they compared him with uh, Tomasz Rosicki. He was born 2002, but he already started to play for Sparta Prague regularly in his uh, 17. Yeah? Unfortunately, he suffered injury. I think it was in October or in November, at the start of November, and he is out four months. So four or five months, we don't know if he's back in late February or March. So for him, it can be a little bit a run against time for Euro. But before, before he suffered the injury, he had been a player for Sparta Prague. He used to play as a winger, but it was because they didn't have a better solution. But normally he's attacker or number 10. And when he had moved to the center at the start of the season, he started to score goals. He had, he had uh, many assists and he won a place in, for the national team, even though he can play still for under 21, for example. So it was all on the very good way, but unfortunately, the injury didn't help him, but he still has a good chance. But However, there has to be no issues, no setbacks in his return. But definitely, he is one to watch, one to follow. Yeah, sure. Could you talk us through a likely starting eleven? Presumably mm-hmm. in goal would be Vaslik, Sevilla. Yeah, his first choice, Tomasz Vaslik, is the first choice. But it's fair to say that this is one of the strongest positions of, of Czech team because there, are, there is another very good goalkeeper, Jiří Pavlenka, from Werder Bremen. He's very good backup for, for Tomasz Vaslik. So I think they are 50-50 now, or, or maybe 60-40 in eyes of coach. Shilhavi, but uh, this is not definitely a weak point of Czech team. On the right side, uh, in defence, uh, number one is now Vladimir Sofal from West Ham, and there is also a very good backup by Pavel Kadejabek from Hoffenheim from Bundesliga. I think the biggest question before tournament will be centre defence, because Czech team don't have top centre-backs, in terms of uh, playing in big clubs for if, in Europe. You can see there is a Tomasz Kalas playing for Bristol City. There is Jakub Rabetz playing for Victoria Plzeň. They finished nationally. They finished in the starting 11 in last games. So they are now rated as the first choices. Another choice is Andrzej Czerustka. used to play for Trabzonspor, now in Sparta, now injured. So if I would uh, have to tell weak point or weak position. One of them is in the center of defense. The second one can be on the right side of right winger, uh, right midfield. Yeah. So left side, it's not clear yet who will be there. Philip Novak used to be first choice, but since his move from Trabzonspor to Fenerbahce, he lost his play in starting uh, 11, so he doesn't play regularly was replaced by Alex Mathieu from Brescia, now in Syria. I mentioned uh, Andrzej Czelustka playing for Trabzonspor. He used to be there, but before return to Prague, he played for Antalya Spor. In the midfield, it's quite clear now. In the centre, there is Tomasz Socek, definitely one of key players, and you can see his skills and his qualities now um, playing for West Ham, and I, I think he became there very quickly important player as well. Alex Corral, another player now heavily linked with, uh, with 
some clubs in Premier League as well. He plays for Sparta Moscow, a very good central midfielder covering space. And their cooperation with Tomasz Uczyk is very, very good. In front of them, Vladimir Darida from Hertha. These players, I would say, are, if nothing unexpected uh, would happen, they will start these three players in the centre midfield. On left side, there is Jakub Janktor from Sampdoria, also definitely the best choice on that side. And the question is on the right side, because Lukas Masopus started most of the games in the, during autumn part, but it's not so strong as, as the left side is. And as I, as I said, up front, uh, Patrick is clear number one if he's if he uh, ready and available. So there'd be no place for, for Borak Dokal. Is he now, because he was, he was a, a key figure for a long time. It's now the biggest, uh, and it will be the biggest uh, discussion before the tournament. Because, right. as you said, he was a key player for the team. He is a key figure in dressing room. But he lost his shape in recent months. He is even criticized for some performances for Sparta Prague. And he lost his place uh, in national team as well. I mean, it's place in starting 11. But Coach Chilhavi likes him and I think he will be in the squad. But it's up to, it's up to Bosch Gitochkala how he will treat with a new situation for him because uh, he is not used to be a, a player on the bench. If he takes and agree with his new position, I think he will be in the squad because he can be still very useful in some part of games when you need to open defense. He has a very good delivery of set pieces. So he still can be useful part, useful member of this team, but it's up to him how we, we will take the new situation. And are there any youngsters who could come in? The whole autumn program was disrupted by COVID, wasn't it? The, the game against Scotland had an entirely different squad even the coach had to isolate and, and couldn't take part in the game so there were problems in the autumn but were there players that he wanted to introduce and didn't get the opportunity i think the squad won't be for for euro 2020 won't be much different than it was in the qualifying campaign in the in the national league because if the players are available if they are not injured I expect the same players that he, that he used during past month. I don't expect any shocking surprises. Maybe we will see what is the situation of uh, Adam Rojek. Young players, Alex Kral is a young player. Alex Mathieu is a young player. So I don't expect many bigger, uh, bigger changes. That's interesting. I wanted to talk a little bit about Czech history and the finances of Czech football a little bit. First, let's take a break and we'll come back in a second. Carol, there's a long, proud history for Czech football going back to the, the World Cup final in 1934 and 1962, the European Championship in 1976, winning on penalties against West Germany, the final against West Germany again in 96. To Czech football fans, are they still very proud of that history and heritage and aware of it? And, and do they make the players make sure they, they, they're aware of that history? To be honest, I think the Czech people or Czech football fans are a little bit specific. Yeah? It's, I, would say, I would say they are more doubters than believers yeah? mm-hmm. because I think it's kind of in, in our nation, the DNA, we are still not 
often complain. We are still not uh, fully fully satisfied. So, and it's not only about football; it's in in general life. So, so it's quite <laughs> not funny if you live in it, but it comes from it comes from history. You mentioned um, the biggest uh, the big successes in Czechoslovakian football history, 1934-1962. But the problem for Czech football in 21st century was that all the teams remained a long time in the shadow of the generation of Pavel Nedved. So, so when there were first signs of decline, it was still compared. Oh, that that generation played so offensive football. Now we play very defensive football. It was really, of course, the the pressure on the players mounted. So it wasn't an easy situation for them to handle. But I think it's already maybe 15 years, 16 years, 17, even 17 years from the golden uh, golden generation. So it's gone and the people are more realistic now. But th- there is definitely uh, there is definitely better mood in general than it used to be two or three years ago. But I would, as I said, I would call it uh, cautious optimism, which is quite typical for Czech fans because, as I said, when there is a big expectations uh, before tournament it usually goes wrong then i mean you mentioned nedved and, and that generation they played some great attacking football is there a sense that there is a czech style of football that the current players should be aspiring to and, and trying to to emulate is there any frustration that players don't play in that way i would say there was frustration in years like 2010 20, uh, 2012 or something like this now it's quite it's a very long time, so not many people now comparing it. But to be honest, uh, it was really exceptional with the team in uh, 2004, yeah, because it was completely different than what we experienced before and what we experienced after. Because before this generation, you couldn't say that uh, Czech football was typical for attacking-minded football. If you remember Euro 1996, it was really based on defense. The game against Portugal was decided by moment of genius of, uh, of Karol Poborski. The semi-final against France was boring football from Czech side. They were completely focused on, on defense. So you can compare the generation or the way of playing style of football uh, which they played to anything before and and later. We talked about yeah. um, Slavia Prague, the mm-hmm. playing in the Champions League. They're owned by a Chinese business. Has that been a controversial thing in Czech football to have foreign owners coming in? If you ask uh, for them, it wasn't too controversial because before, before the enter of the Chinese group, they were nearly too bankrupt. They and really dark times at the time, not far from, from relegation. So for them, it was good because the financial situation, of course, uh, improved. Is there resentment from fans of other clubs towards Slavia because of the ownership and the, the finances? Yes, you can. You can hear some, some not complain, but, but of course, uh, there are some fans from, from the different, uh, different clubs. But, but in general, the money from, uh, from the Chinese group definitely helped to Slavia to work in a very, very dark period because they were near bankruptcy, bankruptcy near relegation. So you can't compare 
money they they give to Slavia Prague with such big clubs as we know in England and and, and other big uh, big leagues because what I know in last season Slavia Prague has an annual budget about 13 million pounds which is quite a lot for Czech club mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think what I know the Chinese uh, group invested only about five million pounds. So the club has to had to find another another sources. Big money came from Champions League. Another big money came from from selling players on transfer fees. Mm. Yeah, but they failed to qualify to Champions League in this this season. So the budget had to be smaller smaller. Now, what I want to say, they are they are the money from. Chinese group is not so big if you compare it with big clubs in, in, in Europe. Yeah? I, I don't think the fans of other clubs criticize it heavily. It's in general, there is a general problem, not regarding football, but general political situation here, because there is a rising influence of Russia and China, uh, not only uh, economical, but political. Um, unfortunately, Czech president Zeman is very, very open to uh, Russia and China. So the general mood, the general mood here is um, not against, but uh, it's quite criticized because I still think we are part of uh, Europe and we should be focused on Western Europe, not on uh, Russia because we had a bad experience from communism area. So it's, it's more general problem of uh, our society of our country our society than football so how will the euros be viewed by the for the czech public in terms of taking part in the competition assuming people can travel and that's a big big question at the moment but assuming people can travel to glasgow and to london for the for the games will people take part in terms will fans travel and feel part will they feel part of a european event Definitely, we can see it from previous European cups and, and participations. Czech nation is uh, strange. They usually don't stay together or they don't uh, express their national pride very often. But if they are in, let's say, under pressure, if there is a bad situation, as it was in March this season because of uh, COVID, uh, COVID-19 pandemic, and there was a big problems, uh, so they... they were able to unite and they helped each other and they were, they, they, people were generous. And similar kind of national pride is expressed when Czech football team is on, on European Cup because they travel in big, uh, big numbers and uh, the general mood is definitely better. And they can be, they go there, enjoy the games they, while normally they are quite critical. So it's, it's, it's different. And we don't know what will happen in, in June, how the situation in Europe will be. But if they are allowed to go, to travel to Glasgow, to Wembley, they will be there in, in big numbers. What's your feeling about the group, just finally, to talk about the draw? It's a tough group for Czech Republic, starting with Scotland in Glasgow and then Croatia in Glasgow and, and finishing the group with England at Wembley, how will the, the team approach each game? As you said, it's a tough group, and not only because of the teams, but also because of the fact that they play two games. Two games are like away, yeah. Because normally you can play against one team who has a home advantage, but in, in this group they 
play two away games, so it, it makes it makes it definitely more more difficult for them. The, the first game can be really crucial because you know with with current format of uh, European of Euro of Euro, one win almost give you a not uh, not certainty, but uh, gives you a big big chance to to qualify to the playoff round. So it can be a really crucial game against Scotland already. They will be very well prepared. They will be very well organized. They will uh, rely on set pieces. It's quite uh, typical for Czech teams. I believe uh, I believe they can be well prepared. And they will be team not easy to beat for teams like uh, Scotland or Croatia because uh, I can't compare it with England, with Germany, with Italy, with the top sides because I think the, their quality skills and potentially still much bigger than the current Czech team. But I believe they won't be team easy to beat. Carol, that's been, it's been great to speak to you. And hopefully in June, we can meet in London at Wembley. I can't promise that the beer in London is as good as it is in <laughs> Prague, but hopefully we can meet and, and, and in person and hopefully at a Wembley full of fans. That would be, be fantastic. But thanks so much for speaking to me. Thank you very much and I hope so. We will see each other at Full Wembley Stadium. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you liked it and you want to find out more, there's a new podcast with a different journalist from every single country competing in this summer's European Championship. You can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this show so you know whenever I release a new episode. And you can find out more great sports podcasts on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just head to sport-social.co.uk. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. Follow and subscribe now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.